Acts chapter 19, and direct your attention about halfway through the chapter to verse 21, where we'll pick up where we left off reading and studying last week. Acts chapter 19, verse number 21. While you're turning there, I'd like to speak to you for the next few moments this morning about what happens when Satan opposes. When Satan opposes, it's not fun. It's not what we expected. And as you'll see in the message, it usually comes when we least expect it. But we can still say, even in the midst of the attacks of our enemy, it is well with my soul. The songwriter in that great hymn penned these words, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate, it is well. It is well with my soul. Praise God, we're saved. If you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. Praise the Lord for that. But we certainly can face the attacks of the enemy. And we find that in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, a tremendous attack is leveled against the church at Ephesus and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. The scripture reads there in verse 21, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way, the way of Christ. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana! Of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. 
And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him having have a matter against any man, the law is open and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it should be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar there being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. We see in Acts chapter 19 that there was a great attack that was leveled against the church at Ephesus. And I don't know about you, but I love to be a part of what God is doing when God is at work. When people are getting saved, the gospel is going forward, when what it says in verse 20 of Acts 19 is taking place, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It's wonderful to be a part of something like that. It's a great gift of God to be a part of a church where the Lord is present and he's working and he's moving in our midst and people are getting saved and families are coming and folks are coming to Christ and following in baptism. The gospel is going forward. I mean, this is what we're all about. We praise God when this happens. This is the case in the church at Ephesus. For two years, Paul had ministered there successfully, and we know that even from that work in Ephesus, the gospel had spread throughout the region of Asia. As men who were trained went and proclaimed the gospel, churches were planted, the gospel went forth, many people were saved, the work of God was going forward triumphantly. And just at that moment, we encounter the circumstances in Acts chapter 19 and verse 21. A ferocious attack of the enemy upon the Lord's church in Ephesus. This morning, I'd like to speak to you about when Satan opposes. Because we enjoy being part of the work of God. But when Satan counterattacks, 
it's not quite as fun. It's not as enjoyable. But the reality is, Satan always counterattacks. You can mark it down that when God is up to something and is doing something, the enemy is going to try to disrupt that work. The enemy is always going to try to get his foot in the door and confuse, detract, distract, deceive, and delude. He has many different methods that he uses. The method that is seen in Acts chapter 19 was a full-on attack of the church at Ephesus. It was an attempt to intimidate them and to get them to stand down and stop proclaiming the truth of God. Four truths this morning that I'd like you to consider from Acts chapter 19. First of all, opposition may come when we least expect it. As a matter of fact, opposition from Satan almost always comes when we least expect it. Now, as children of God, we ought not to be caught off guard by Satan's attack. It ought not to be a surprise to us that Satan, our enemy, our adversary, is active in this world. The Bible has told us to expect that he will be actively working. The Bible has told us his methods so that we are not ignorant of his devices. The Bible has revealed to us his goal and has warned us that he will continue being active and working in this world until the time when God removes him completely and banishes him to the lake of fire. And I, for one, look forward to that day when that old deceiver is cast into the lake of fire and his power is completely removed from him. But for now... He's still working. Some years ago, we were in the country of South Africa. And we were at that time with Jerry and Debbie Wilhite visiting with them in the place where they lived at that time. Brother Jerry took us to a little place outside of town, which was a lion park. And in that particular park, they rehabilitate lions. I don't even know what that means. But we went to this place, and there were lions behind a chain-link fence, like the kind that you might put around your yard to keep dogs from coming in or something. So we went to this park, and they were talking about the lions, and evidently they use these lions in movies and things like this. They've trained these lions, and They trust these lions. They go in and talk to these lions and wrestle with them and stuff. They wanted to know if I was interested. No, thank you. (laughs) But I remember standing there at that place, and at some point in the demonstration, they took some, some meat, basically, like the side of a cow that had been cut into pieces, and they threw it over the fence, and these lions pounced on that meat and started tearing it and... They were growling and fighting with each other to get to that meat. And about that time, I had, we had our kids with us. At that time, we had four children. We had our kids with us. They were a lot smaller. 
I started looking at that chain link fence and the size of those lions and my children on this side. And I thought, I don't know if I trust that fence. Then I noticed some places where the fence was kind of bent towards our direction. And I thought, if a lion comes at the fence and bounces off of it, I I might have a heart attack. Now, these lions, as I said, were rehabilitated. They were safe. Ironically, the Bible tells us that our enemy, Satan, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I wonder this morning if you really believed that Satan, our adversary, was walking. That he was here this morning and he was walking about, roaring, seeking whom he may devour. I wonder if you'd pay closer attention to what God's word says. I wonder if you'd be more alert to what's happening in your life. I wonder if you'd pull your kids closer. I wonder for a moment if we haven't started to think that Satan's not so real. Bah humbug. The devil. Come on. Preacher, you're nuts. Oh, no. I'm not nuts. I mean, I am, but I'm not. (laughs) Not in this case. He's real. And I guarantee that if that lion was walking up and down these aisles, chances are you wouldn't stay here. But if you did, you would be a lot more alert to what was happening. You wouldn't be so flippant about what is being said. You might consider this morning that there is grave spiritual danger at foot every moment of our lives. And yet, we tend to think when things are going well, when the the word of God is mighty and prevailing and it's God is at work, we got this. No problem. Now, I'm I'm not in any sense, because the text doesn't indicate this, I'm not indicating to you that Paul or the brethren at Ephesus were proud or that they were self-sufficient. I don't want you to think that for a minute, but I do want to point out to you that we are sometimes guilty of that. That when things are going well, there are times when we assume we are immune to the attack of Satan. Satan could never touch us. Hey, We're a sound church. We've got strong doctrine. We know what we believe. We pray. How could Satan attack us? Oh, he will. He is right now attacking our church. Right now. He's looking. This opposition comes when we least expect it. You and I should realize that Satan hates the work of God and he will do anything in his power to detract from the gospel. 
He will do anything in his power if you are unsaved to cause you to spurn the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will try to convince you that all of this is not real, that you can live your own life and do your own thing and there will be no consequences. He's trying to trap you. So in the moment that you think everything's going great, beware. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You and I can become proud in our own self-righteousness and spiritual sufficiency and unwittingly become targets for the attack of Satan. But even if that is not the case, you and I are prone to being attacked by the enemy whenever we are engaged in the work of God. Now, I'm not trying to make you think today that the devil is behind every bush, that every time something bad happens in your life, it's the devil at work. I don't want you to become superstitious. I just want you to realize that there is such a thing as a devil, and he is actively working to deceive. In this case, he worked in a very specific way in Acts chapter 19. So not only... Does opposition often come when we least expect it? But second of all, opposition can be quite severe. When Satan opposes the work of God, it can be subtle and it can also be severe. In this case, this was a severe attack upon the work of God. If you were paying attention, as I read through the book of Acts chapter 19... What was being described is a scene of absolute chaos. And what was this chaos all about? It was to intimidate the gospel preachers and cause them to say, it is not worth preaching the gospel. This is causing too much trouble. Now, that would have been the wrong response, but that was the intention. You notice several things about this opposition. In verse 23, it says, And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. In other words, there was quite an agitation. There was quite a, a, uh, a stirring up, uh, an upsetting in this case. So realize that this spiritual attack was serious. And it was an attack, it says in verse 23, against the way of Christ. It was a stir about that way. It's, it's unbelievable to me how groups could preach literally any other message and no one has any problem with yeah. it. But if you start preaching the gospel, you watch people get stirred up. And it's, it, it's actually irrational. It doesn't make any sense. You mean, if I preach to you about the way of salvation that's freely provided through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that makes you angry? But if I tell you that you need to give offerings to my church and make sure that you get baptized under my church's authority and make sure that you're a faithful member of my church and do all the rules that we said, that's the only way to be saved, that's fine, but you can't preach about Jesus, that makes you upset? You understand what I'm saying? 
It's illogical. Why is it illogical? Because it's spiritual in nature. It's spiritual. So they were upset about the preaching of the gospel. And the reason they were upset, and it's borne out through the passage, is because the preaching of the gospel was affecting their living. This was Demetrius, who was leading these silversmiths. And these silversmiths made the majority of their money by fashioning idols of Diana, who was the goddess of the Ephesians, and selling them to people who wanted to worship Diana. And Demetrius was so upset about this. And he said, the reason that we're upset is because everywhere that Paul and these gospel preachers go, he's persuading people to stop worshiping Diana. And he's telling people that these are no gods which are made with hands. Except the reason he's upset is because nobody's buying or fewer people are buying the gods who are made with hands. Isn't that weird? But he was upset because the gospel was affecting their living. And I want to say this this morning. There are many people who hate the gospel of Jesus Christ because when you follow the gospel, it's going to change your life. And people say, I don't want to be different. Tell me anything as long as I don't have to change. As long as I can do what I want to do and believe that I'm going to heaven, I'll be fine with that. But any gospel that leaves you the same as you were is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ will change you from the inside out. It'll give you a new heart and make you into a new creature. The thing that Demetrius and the silversmiths hated the most was that people were changing. They didn't want people to change because it was affecting their life. They were threatened that the gospel would destroy the worship of Diana, which tells you something about how many people had gotten saved and what was happening in Asia, that they were actually alarmed that the worship of Diana might come to an end. Understand this this morning. When idols are threatened, the spiritual powers behind those idols tend to fight back. Why? To keep men in bondage. This is something that is sobering. That when you begin working in the work of the Lord, you are threatening Satan's dominion in people's lives, and he does not like it. He gets upset. He resists. He fights back. He counterattacks. You've got to be prepared for that. Now, this opposition got so out of hand, and they got so angry. In fact, the Bible says in verse 28 that they were full of wrath. I've had times in my life where I was evangelizing, sharing the gospel, handing out tracts. I remember one time I was, I didn't even remember where I was. I was in another country and I, handed, I was handing out tracts, you know, kind of as fast as I could. And right in the middle of that, some guy came up and he stood right in front of me and he held up the tract that I handed to him and he said something in a different language that I didn't understand, but I understood exactly what he meant when he took the tract and he ripped it and he threw it in my face, and he walked away. And I thought, 
Wow. That's quite a response to somebody handing you a piece of paper. Why do people get so angry? Because there's spiritual powers that are at work trying to hold those people in bondage. You're here this morning without Christ. You're taken captive by Satan at his will. You belong to him. And he doesn't want to give you up. And he'll tell you anything you want to hear to keep you with him. He'll fill your head with all kinds of lies about the gospel of Jesus Christ if you're not careful. He might even bring some distractions right in the middle of the message. (laughs) They were full of wrath. There's often a lot of irrational emotion that's involved in opposing the gospel. There's often a lot of... It's not really thought through, and if you really sat and talked to people about what it is they're upset about, they don't know. They're just upset. They don't like it. Emotion gets high. And I pointed this out to you, or I tried to as we were reading through in verse 29. 29, The the result was that the whole city was filled with confusion. So here is this absolutely chaotic scene. It's confusing. Everybody is trying to figure out what's going on. Confusion is being sown. Suspicion against the gospel. Everybody's trying to figure out what is happening. What is everybody all upset about? What What is going on here? What was the point of this? Remember, God is not the author of confusion. The gospel brings order. The gospel brings peace. But where Satan is prevailing, there's confusion and chaos, disorganization. And the Bible says that these people got so upset in verse 29 that they grabbed a hold of two of the faithful preachers, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they rushed into the theater with one accord, meaning they were all in harmony. They were in unison together. And what were they in unison about? Get rid of the gospel. Get rid of Jesus. Get rid of these Christians. We've had enough of this. Now, we're told from excavations that have been done in the city of Ephesus that the theater or the arena that is there can seat between 50 and 75,000 people. Just for comparison, if you've ever been out to Penn State for a football game at Beaver Stadium, that seats just over 100,000 people, which is unbelievable to think about. But imagine a theater filled with upwards of 50 or maybe 75,000 people all screaming at the top of their lungs in anger and frustration and confusion. What a demonic scene. And what is this all about? Stop preaching the gospel. Stop preaching the gospel. It got so bad... That's so crazy. That is so crazy. That's all I'm going to say. That's crazy. I don't even know what that's about. 
They're all going to go off in a little bit. Probably mine will, and I'll have to go turn it off. Wow. And what was it about? Well, all these people, the, look at verse 32 for a minute. Some therefore cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. So in other words, a lot of people got upset and got involved in it. They didn't even know why they were there. There was just, this is mob mentality. Just a little bit of practical advice. If you ever see a mob going to do something, go the other way. Not a good place. All right? So a lot of people are there. They didn't even know. Everybody's screaming and yelling. They don't know what they're upset about. And then this other guy gets put forward by the Jewish people. I don't even think he's a Christian, but he got put forward because the Jews are getting wrapped into this accusation. They try to give this guy, Alexander, a chance to defend the Jewish people. And when they found out he was a Jewish man, they just started screaming. And for two hours... In that arena, people screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out anything that might convince them that what they have believed is not true. To what lengths will people go to drown out the truth when they are determined to do what they want? More importantly, where does that inspiration to respond in that way come from? It comes from Satan. And the reason that Satan tempts people to respond that way is because Satan wants to destroy them. He wants to impede the progress of the gospel so that those people will not come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I'm pointing all this out to you to say opposition may be quite severe. Sometimes, because we don't like being opposed by Satan, we tend to just kind of go along with his agenda. It's easier when there's nothing to fight against. It's easier when things are easy. And so if we just step back and we're not active and we're not doing the will of God and preaching the gospel, then it's a little easier than we... Listen, Satan isn't going to fight something that's not alive. He doesn't care about a church that isn't doing the will of God. He's not worried about any of that. When Satan is opposing, he's opposing because something spiritual, something of worth is going on, and he's trying to distract and delude. And because he is a powerful being, he can unload a lot. And it can be quite severe to the point. And I could, I just tell you, if I was a member of the church at Ephesus, I would be thinking, what in the world is going on? I would be bewildered. I would be thinking, this is crazy. How did this happen? Well, the way it happened was it was a spiritual attack. All right? All right, stay with me now. Opposition may come when we least expect it. Opposition may be quite severe. It gets better, though. Because third of all, opposition can never overcome the power of God. Now, it's frightening to think about the power of Satan. But I want to console your heart for just a moment as a child of God. That old devil is completely powerless before the power of Jesus Christ. 
He has no authority. He is toothless. He has no power anymore over the child of God. So this morning, while we may be intimidated and we may be afraid, understand we have nothing to fear because Satan has already been defeated. This was a chaotic scene. If you were a member of the church at Ephesus, you would be thinking, this is my last day on earth. Those people are going to hunt us down and kill us. We're finished. We're done. But God wasn't done yet. And it's interesting. I don't want to dwell a lot on this. But, you know, Paul, he was very bold. And in verse 30, he intended, I'm going into the arena. I'm just going to raise my hand and tell him what it's all about. I'm going to preach the gospel to him and whatever happens will be fine with me. Now, that would have been not a good decision. And I think we could make a case that it wasn't the will of God. So while his heart was in the right place, it wasn't the right time, wasn't the right method, and God was able to overrule his decision. In fact, unbelievably, there were powerful people, the the chief of Asia. These were powerful rulers in government who were friends of Paul, who sent to him and said, Paul, not the right place, not the right time. Don't go in there. Now, what was that? That was God protecting Paul's life because Paul still had a mission. Paul still had something to accomplish. Sometimes you and I may try to answer the power of satanic opposition in our own wisdom or our own strength, but that will never be sufficient. That's not going to answer the need. God always has an answer for overcoming the opposition so the gospel can go forward And we have to learn to depend upon him. See, in Paul's mind, the only answer was for him to go in there. But God had something entirely different. And that brings us to the second thought here, that opposition can never overcome the power of God. Notice in verse 35 that God used somebody completely unexpected who evidently wasn't even a Christian to stop this whole thing. In verse 35, there's a town clerk. Now, that doesn't sound very important to us. That sounds like the person who keeps the meeting notes for the town council or something. But in Bible days, this is most likely like the mayor, the guy who's in charge of the entire city. He's a pretty powerful official and respected by the people in this arena. And he came in front of the people and he calmed them down and he said, you guys have to knock this off. Now, he told them a bunch of nonsense about Diana and how great she was and all this wonderful stuff, which they loved. And it it stoked their pride and made them feel a lot better. And then he said, you guys have to stop because if you don't, the Roman government's going to come and we're going to be called into question about this. There's There's a lawful way to handle this and this isn't the right way to handle it. And he got them all dismissed and out of there and the whole thing just gone and over. Good. But isn't it interesting that God doesn't need you or me to stop the satanic attack? God can use whoever he wants. He could even use an unsaved person to do his work. Sometimes we think, I'm instrumental to the work of God and God has to use me. No, he doesn't. And sometimes he's going to use someone else or something else to bring that satanic attack to an end. 
And we'll come to the next thought in just a minute. But what I want to point out to you is that the enemy, I'm talking about Satan, he thought he had everything figured out to stop the preaching of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. But he didn't. Because there's something about Satan. Even though he is incredibly crafty, And such a skillful liar that he can convince us of things that we should never believe. So he's incredibly smart. He also has a fatal flaw. And his fatal flaw is that he actually thinks he can beat God. He actually believes it. And so he tries. And God delights in making a fool out of the devil which is what he did on this day. God delivered the church at Ephesus through his power in a way that they could have never arranged or manipulated. God brought them on the other side of this attack. So opposition can never overcome the power of God. Sometimes, I just want to say this before we move on, sometimes Christians become terrified of the power of Satan. You have no reason to be terrified of the power of Satan. You say, well, how do I oppose him? Through the truth of God. All of his power is wrapped up in lies. All of the power that God has given to you through the spirit of God is wrapped up in the truth of God. You fight this enemy with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Cling tenaciously to the truth of God, and it will always unseat the lies of Satan. Always. If you go after the lies then you've chosen that the truth will not be effective in your life. All right. Fourth of all, when Satan opposes, we find opposition may be used by God to redirect our way. You say, well, what happened? That's why I read the first several verses of Acts chapter 20. What happened was Paul left. It seems like Paul was the center focus of this attack, and Like many other places where he had been before, Paul decided that it would be better for him to leave town and go somewhere else and continue on in the ministry somewhere else and take the attention with him. And you know, that's exactly what happened. Paul went on. He eventually, and we'll we'll follow his trail here as we study through the book of, of, of Acts, he went over to Macedonia. He began to preach to the disciples that were there, confirm those disciples, but he left. He went somewhere else. And and this is a reminder that sometimes God allows opposition in our lives so that he can redirect our way. Maybe he has something else for us to be doing, something else for us to be involved in. And what you see is that it was time for Paul to go. Though this was a fruitful place of ministry, it was time for him to move on and God was going to use him in some great places. So did the work in Ephesus stop. No. No, because for two years, Paul had been discipling and teaching and training, and there were faithful men. And what happened was, after Paul left, the church at Ephesus literally exploded. And God blessed that ministry in ways that we can hardly even imagine in the face of a full-on satanic attack. So God moved Paul on, and God continued the work in Ephesus. And here's this attack, this distraction from Satan, and what did it do? 
Well, best we can tell, it furthered the kingdom of God. Best we can tell, God used it to his advantage to show that he is triumphant over the power of Satan, which he is. All right, so think about this. Think about these four truths. Opposition may come when we least expect it. Have you experienced that in your life? I have. Opposition may be quite severe. Have you experienced that in your life? I have. Opposition can never overcome the power of God. Have you experienced that in your life? Amen. I have. Amen. I have. And opposition may be used by God to redirect our way. Have you experienced that in your life? I have. Now, I want to bring this all to a point, and then we'll be finished. I believe that God loves this church, Amen. without Amen. a doubt. Amen. I believe that God is working through this church. Sir. It is a tremendous privilege to be a part of this church. It's wonderful to see what God has been doing and to see what God wants to do with this church. Praise God. But because of that, we ought to be aware of the fact that Satan is exactly the opposite of all those things. He hates this church. If you are trying to raise a godly family, Satan hates you. He hates your children. He hates godly families. He hates churches that stand for the truth. He hates gospel preachers. He hates the gospel of Jesus Christ because he is a thief. He wants to destroy and kill and bring his conniving, deceiving ways into people's lives and convince them that he is right and God is wrong. So it should not be a surprise to us if Satan is working, if he is tempting, if he is even now trying to lure away from the the ways of God and away from the power of the gospel. Don't be surprised. If you find that your children sin and do things that they ought not to do, don't be surprised because there's an enemy who's after your kids. If you find that sometimes people will be tempted to do things that are in the flesh and not in the spirit, then don't be surprised because Satan is certainly trying to oppose the work of God. And if he could distract us, if he could deceive us, if he could draw us away and get us focused on anything but the preaching of the gospel, he would be very, very happy. And so here's the admonition this morning. If you sense that Satan is actively opposing the work of God, perhaps you're experiencing some buffeting in your life and some trials that you say, this seems to be coming out of left field. I don't know what's going on. Then let this blessed assurance control. You're a child of God. You belong to him. This attack is something that God has allowed 
and which he can use for your good and his glory and the furtherance of the gospel. And so even when you don't understand what's happening, let us say together, it is well. It is well with my soul. Now, Paul didn't understand it all. One day, I think he could look back on this chaos, on this confusing scene and say, now I know what was going on. But at the time, it must have been so bewildering. Must have been so confusing. Must have, Lord, what is, what is happening? It's just like everything was going great and now what's happening? That's how Satan works. But God allowed it. And God used it for his good. God used it for God's glory. Now this morning, if you sense that Satan is real, that he's opposing you and your desire to follow after Christ, then you're right. If you don't sense that, then you're either not saved or you're not living for the Lord. Because that's the only choice. So this morning, if you sense that, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Understand, this is the tactic of our enemy. And it's a good indication that God is actually doing his good work in our midst. That God is going to prevail. That the gospel is going to be glorified. So this morning, let's pray for that end. Amen. Let's pray. Let's employ the spiritual weapons which God has given to us to their fullest ability and trust that God is working, can work, will work in our midst and that he will get the victory.